The Mitchell Brothers Do Retro. All this and more this week in Retro. High resolution color graphics. This land of high technology. The revolution in technology that made the information age possible. Those kids are not afraid of computers. Retro Bright Enlightenment. Perfect Pac-Man performance. Thorin sits down and starts singing about gold. All this and more coming up on today's show. Up-to-date news for out-of-date tech. Hello, chaps. Are you fully refreshed from our uh, hiatus from the show? Three weeks we had. Very refreshed. Yeah. Lucky I yeah. made it back. Yeah. I almost forgot. <laughs> <laughs> well, we hope Duncan had a nice break because he, he took a holiday. Does anyone know where Duncan took a holiday to or did he just take some time off? I think, I think he, just- he went... Oh. He went he was going in England to where he used to live, the area he used to live. I think he went with his oh, sister. Okay. I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, okay. I don't know about you guys. I mean, Chris, you obviously don't live where you grew up. You're on the other side of the planet. Uh, yeah. Dave, are you still fairly local to where you grew up? About a mile away. About a mile. Okay. See, I live a long way away. I, I live um, ooh, about two hours away which in, in, in British travel terms is a long way away. In America, it's a trip to the shops in Australia. I see Chris <laughs> screwing up his face. But um, if, if I ever go back to my hometown, it is always a very nostalgic thing, you know, because yeah. I go back so infrequently, you switch off those memories. But when you go back, a, a, a switch flicks and they all come flooding back again. And Does your accent come back on? Depends who I talk to. Yeah. If I go chatting to the farmers down at the market, it, it starts to... Yeah, come back a little bit. <laughs> nice. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, what have you guys been up to, Chris? What, what have you, you've been doing some painting, I think. I, I painted a case. Yeah, only because it was like one of those. It's not an original case, and it was an experiment. I'm not. I'm not for painting. I'm not against it, but I'm not for painting. But I had a mess about in the garage, and and the whole ethos was, I wonder what paint colours I've got in the garage, and I happen to have gold, and I happen to have black. So that's how it turned out. Chris is holding up a gold Amiga 1200 top half and a black bottom half. It looks nice from what I can see on the image. Are you happy with the finish? Mm, Well, it feels painted, as they always do. Do you know what I mean? That's the only (laughs) downside of painting. It feels painted. It looks pretty, I think. Um, And what I like about gold, and it was just simply because I had some in the garage, so just an experiment. Um, But if you you put a... (laughs) I like gold. Gold! Um, but no, I was going the Austin Powers. Um, but no, ah. if you, if you put the, a slightly yellowed keyboard in that case, it actually kind of complements the yellowing of the keys. You know what I mean? Whereas my fear, if you get a, a nice bright brand new white case, is it's going to make yellowed keys look even more yellow. So it was a nice experiment, yeah. and it seemed to work to a degree. Yeah. Are you saying then that we should forget about retrobiting and never mention it again? <laughs> No, I'm saying if we talk about it ever in the future, we should also retrobite keys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I've actually, seen the video. I'm planning on doing some painting uh, of GVPs, so hard drive expansions for the Amiga very soon. And I've been trying to get some, uh, well, I've, I've got hold of some color matched paints. Um, one is Oyster White, which I think is more A600, A1200 style color. And then I've got another one, which is a slightly creamier color to see if it suits the a500 better right. so I, I i have painted machines in in the past uh like a bbc micro um I, I was happy with the finish i did give it a gloss layer at the end did you do any kind of glossing with yours or not no and if i decide to keep it in these these colors that's what i will do i'll give it another quick clean uh maybe another quick yeah. uh, top coat and then I'll, I'll hit it with a clear coat i mean if you're painting a car you you would not do a clear coat and, and these should yeah. be treated the same way yeah just to seal it in 
Yes. Well, it's always interesting to see how these things work out, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Dave, how's your week been? Or oh, three weeks? Yeah, uh, I am feeling better. Uh, people might remember I've not been feeling so good. I'm feeling a lot better. I'm not quite there, but I'm on the mend. I'm starting to do stuff again. And I have been spending money. Um, I started off with a record player and I thought to myself, well, some records are either unobtainable or super expensive. So I'll get I'll get a CD player that matches the record player and then I'll have the CD player and the record player. And then I thought, well, maybe I should get the official amplifier that came with it. And now I have a full Technics 1991 separate system. It looks lovely. I've had to buy speakers for it now, so I spent 100 quid in speakers, actually more than 100 quid in speakers, plus all the separates, and I now have a proper rich person in 1991 um, Technics separate system, which which I'm, I'm delighted with. It. One bit isn't here yet, so it's not all wired up yet to buy all new cables for it as well. But when it arrives, it's going to be just as good as it was when it was brand new. You know what would look great in a stack? You've got to have a CD TV in there. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> it's what they were built for, Dave. I I'm not made of money. <laughs> Plus, I don't want one. The Technics turntable was the one everyone wanted, wasn't it, in the 90s? Yeah. Is, it, is it a direct drive turntable? Is that the terminology? It is a Technics direct drive linear tracking quartz lock turntable. Look at that. From the man the who said, I'm going to stop spending money on big box games, he's found a new addiction. And uh, look out Vinyl for the, records, books, anything. Look out for Dave's Technic Stack System podcast coming soon. <laughs> anyway, into this week's first story. You're right there, Chris. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going to, I forgot to say, I bought a 386 as well. So, yeah, a mate Stuart built that um, on commission, essentially. I asked him for the, a, a specific spec and he's built it's, that for me. So. Three. 386 is a wonderful period of DOS gaming. There's so many yeah. good games out there. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, moving on. <laughs> so, of course, lots of stories to choose from this week owing to the break that we had. Um, I've picked up one that was posted a couple of weeks back by Redditor HopefulShip6959. Now, this isn't a new link by any means, but it's been upvoted plenty. Lots of you were interested in it. And it follows on nicely from our discussion on Retro Brighting in the last episode. And, uh, oh, what a coincidence in the intro there as we were chatting about spray painting and whatnot. Now, the video that's linked in this dates all the way back to July 2021. It's by Jeff Burt on his channel, Hey Burt. Hey Burt. And um, I don't know how this one passed me. There's Kermit there. <laughs> I don't know how this video passed me by first time because, as you know, I like to experiment and learn uh, all about people's experiments in retro writing, but I didn't see this one for some reason. And, um, well, before I go into details, have you guys seen this on the Hey Bert channel? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I watched it when it came out. Um, it's, a, it's a fantastic video. It, um, it It's what we were crying out for, actual information backed up with it. We'll, we'll never get to the real bottom of it all, but this this is this is superbly helpful, yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't watched it myself yet, knowingly. You know how sometimes you watch a YouTube video and then you forget you've watched it until you get halfway through <laughs> yes. it the second time through? <laughs> so maybe I've watched it a while back, but I, yeah, it's certainly not in my in my conscious memory, so no. I think this is one of those ones that would probably stick if you had watched it. So I'll ask uh, Duncan to put a link in the show notes so you can check it out. It's a 40-minute long video. But uh, in it, Jeff lays the foundation by going over, uh, well, 
exactly what gives an object color at the molecular molecular level. He really does lay these foundations before we even get onto the retrobriting processes. Um, what plastic is and the different varieties of plastic. And he references various scientific papers in his research to back up what he's saying. Now, we should remember not to believe everything that you see on the internet, of course, but um, Jeff does lay out a lot of information in this, in this video, which it makes sense to me when comparing it to the many trials and failures that I've had in retrobriting and just sets off a few light bulbs, um, which just make you go, oh, so that's why that happened, or that's why I had trouble with that experiment that I did over the years. And, it, and he also serves to dispel some myths along the way. Highlights of the video include um, carrying out tests over a period of months. This wasn't just a quick one or two day or a week long thing. He spent a long time getting his um, his evidence and doing his experiments using liquid peroxide, uh, sodium percarbonate, which um, is a, a powder, which basically you mix it up to create create liquid peroxide. I see you nodding there, Dave. Have you tried that in the past? No, but I've, I've, I've seen it in the video. You've seen it, yeah. Um, he tries just straight up bleach. And um, he also tries uh, some of the commonly cited catalysts that we see related to retrobriting, such as OxyClean. And I think there's some uh, false teeth cleaning tablets as well, some DentaClean things as well, which he uses. And he shares the results in the tests. And he also does a really interesting experiment with electrolysis, but uh, I won't ruin the findings for you there. You should go and watch the video. Uh, he covers things like the reason why we get marbling and... Um, other things that catch us out when we're trying to get good, consistent results in our retrobriting. He also talks about the commonly cited belief that retrobriting makes plastics brittle. Now, this is an interesting for me one for me. It's um, something I've heard a lot of people say, but I've never actually experienced retrobriting make my plastics brittle myself. That's not to say it doesn't happen. I just haven't experienced it myself. So this tallied up with my findings. And Jeff concludes that any, any change that you make in the makeup of the plastics caused by retrobrite is absolutely tiny compared to the changes that are caused to the plastics over the lifetime of the item over a 30 or 40 year period by uv by heat um, by everything else that it experiences is nothing compared to a short period of retrobriting so if you retrobrite and it causes your plastic to disintegrate it was probably already on its last legs it was his conclusion um, there's lots of myth busting like that throughout or myth busting as he calls it in in this video so well worth watching to see what he makes of all these things and a nice tip that comes up during the discussion about plastics re-yellowing because this is another thing that's discussed isn't it people often say no it'll make your plastics brittle and it will quickly go yellow again again i've never had my retro brighted things go yellow again any quicker than they already were of course, they go yellow again. They're subject to the same, um, you know, chemical processes as they were before. Um, but I've never noticed it any quicker. And in the past, I have sprayed a couple of items with a UV protecting um, gloss. I'm not keen on that because I worry if I've got uneven coverage or if uh, an area wears down more quickly than another. For example, where you rest your wrists, you might wear through that layer, and then you might get uneven yellowing um, as the UV hits it, the plastic in 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 at different levels. So Jeff recommends this treatment called 303 Aerospace Protectant. And as I say that, Dave has picked up one. So he uh, he's already on that train. Um, it's the first time I've come across this. It's a UV spray. Now, Dave, how do you use it? Do you, do you spray it on the item and leave it or do you wipe it on your items or have you not used it yet? You spray it on 
and then with a microfiber cloth, you wipe off the excess to make sure it's spread over uh, equally. I have sprayed it on um, speakers um, that I bought for my ST uh, that needed retrobrighted. So I retrobrighted them, first time I ever retrobrighted, and then I sprayed that on, smeared it all over, and left it to dry. And I can't see the speakers looking any different now than they did before I sprayed it. So as far as I'm concerned, it's an invisible coating. So that's a, a protective, a UV protective layer, but um, it's not in the same way as a gloss paint. So, you know, if you need to wipe it off, you could probably give those speakers a really good clean and, and get that all off. But um, I'm certainly going to do that now with all of the machines that I have in the cave on the hands-on area. Yes, I have skylights on all the windows, but um, anything I can do to help, you know, give some longevity to those plastics is a good thing. So I'll give that a go and see how we get on. He also discusses, um, discusses, he, he discusses with disgust uh, the myths of bromine. Um, and uh, again, I'm not going to ruin the video for you, but it's, it's all discussed in a 40 minute video, which I think is worth a watch. Um, it, it, for me, I think it's really going to help to fine tune some of the methods that I use. Um, it doesn't discuss the method that I'm currently using, which is the plant propagation box that I have where I just put the uh, no, you're I think he does. Well, I, he, I, he does bring into the discussion a heated mat. Yes, that's what yeah. I mean, yes. Yeah, yeah, um, which is interesting because in his process, he just uses a box which is completely sealed. He doesn't rely on sunlight or any kind of light whatsoever, I don't think, does he? I don't think there's a light in the box. I don't think so. No. Um, so he really just depends on on heat. So that was interesting to see as well. Um, but he may well have expanded on his method since then because it is over a year old, as I said, this video. Well, um, yeah. So Dave, I, I learned some things from this video. What did yeah. you learn? <clears throat> so I watched it at the time, but I watched it again today. And I actually watched one of, his, one of his more recent videos where he does a Vic 20. And he's still using the same system. He's still, he's still closing it up. And I... I I've got a blank in my head if he uses light on top once it's closed up, but I know he seals it up, uses a heated pad, and he puts polystyrene around it to keep the heat on so he's not wasting electricity. And it works for him, but it took a week for the VIC-20 to get mostly back to normal. It wasn't fully back to normal, although he was using fairly weak 5% peroxide um, solution, and he wasn't using the vapor method that you were using, but he was using the heat, the heated pad, and I noticed that the heated pad mentioned propagating on it, so that's what the pad's actually for, mm, yeah. for propagating plants. And that's why I thought I felt that that maybe there's a there's a common a common root in what you're doing, the root pun intended in, in what you're doing there. Um, yeah. So I, I did I did learn a bit more from it. It's good to get kind of. Um, it's good to get uh, to get can reinforcement for what we're doing. I think the right way to retrobite now is not using. Um, cling film and cream, I think, if you're going to use cling film and cream, you would instead use your method, which is vapor, or you can use immersion if immersion still works for what you want to do. Um, now, Neil, are you going to make any changes as a result of watching this video? Are you, are you going to change what you do, or is it just reinforce what you're doing? Well, I'm, I'm also a fan of the immersion method, but um, as we often say, it's the cost of the peroxide that makes yes. it so prohibitive. It's fine for here. keys. Keycaps is fine. Yeah, 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 in a Ziploc bag or something like that. So, um, and that may be why he's using 5%. It might be cheaper or he might have diluted it down. And Jeff is clearly not in a hurry because, as you say, 168 hours or seven days that Vic 20 was in the box for. Low and slow with 5% and the heated mat. And, you know, if you've got the patience and you're not in a hurry, then that is a very safe uh, 
method and he's got good results as we've seen from his videos. So I think that's a great way of doing it. In terms of my own method, um, I, I might look into the heated mats that he's got because the advantage of those is they're not built into the box like mine is. So you could potentially have multiple heated mats all lined up for a larger item and put you know a larger box on them. So that could work quite nicely. Um, so yeah, I'll look into those mats. I think that's what I'll, I'll take away from that, as well as a lot of the science that he's dipped into, the scientific papers that he references and things like that. Um, really is a nice video to watch. Um, I learned that the often cited line of bromine causes yellowing is in fact a myth, as I mentioned. He does say that it accelerates the yellowing if, if there's bromine in the plastics, but it in itself doesn't cause it. Um, and I learned really that there's no magic behind the process. It's, it's not doing something magical with the molecules, turning back time. Um, he really does conclude that retrobriting is a, a bleaching method. That's all it is. You know, you're bleaching. So um, he also does seem comfortable with the sunbright method, which is um, often brought up as a, a safe way of doing things. Just leaving an item out in the sun if you live somewhere with sun. Well, uh, I'm... You're in, deeply inhaling breath there, Dave. You want to yeah, say something? I, I'm still not happy with sunbrighting. I, I still have deep suspicions that sunbrighting will cause the problems that later will manifest in the thing going yellow again, or even perhaps even worse than it was, if you leave it out with loads and loads of sunlight. Because we do know, and his video did actually say, that the yellowing will happen afterwards once you put it away. He, he quoted what, a, a scientific paper that found that, that the, the yellowing happens afterwards. So you take something out in the sun, you bleach it white, but you also cause a reaction which will later turn it back yellow i don't have any real evidence for that though this is just my, my suspicion I, I would be much more inclined to have it in a box with heat rather than outside with sunlight um but again maybe time will tell maybe people will get more information on that I'm inclined to agree, but like you, without any scientific evidence to back that up. But he does say yeah. in his video that, as I mentioned, the amount of UV and heat that these items are exposed to over their lifetime will make them far more brittle than any small amount of retrobriting. So if you're putting something out in the sun for three days, that probably yeah. amounts to many months, if not years, of sunlight and heat exposure that it would get. Over its especially lifetime. if especially yeah. if it's the bright sunlight that we that we we get two or three days a every decade yeah, yeah. so i mean that those are just my instincts but instincts of course are not evidence um chris you've got access uh, access to infinite amounts of sun infinite. do you make the most of it obviously not you're, you're right there with your spray paint <laughs> infinite sun yes that describes the perth summer quite well um <laughs> Yeah, well, as, as you're aware, I haven't retrobited yet. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the paint was just an experiment, and I do plan to retrobite this actual A1200 I've got sitting next to me here. And I am, in fact, now the um, the proud owner of some hydrogen peroxide, uh, food grade. Uh, so I will get around to doing that, but I'll be using the <laughs> chamber method, as, as I would call it. That, that, to me, seems like the safest. But before that, before I saw that method, I was actually leaning towards potentially trying sunbrighting because I saw it as potentially the less risky um, yeah, but let's talk about that infinite sun. You know, in the in the in the summer, you're almost guaranteed, you know, a week's worth of over 35 degrees over here, um, centigrade. So, is it less risky, or am I actually risking melting the items whilst attempting to to make them look better than they they started off? That's that's well, my Jeff there. does. You have to specify in the video that you want to keep it under 50 degrees C, I think was the, okay. 
the number so, the figure that he gave. So if if in your plastic peroxide prison you can um keep it lower than that, you can mm. you can pick up pretty cheap oven temperature sensors that you can just put the probe into the box and have the wire coming out so you can keep an eye on the temperature in there. Mm. And uh yeah, keep it below fifty. When I do mine it sits at about forty degrees, thirty-five to forty degrees. Um yeah. Dave? And not to steal any of the thunder from Jeff's video, but he does he does mention that plastic long before plastic actually melts, it does leave a glass phase and it turns into a, a, a phase where it's more malleable, where mm -hmm. it basically it will warp. So you right. do need to be really careful. If you have it out in the sunshine, it's enclosed in there, maybe 35 yeah. degrees, but it could be 55, 60 in there, and you may find that things slight, start to, to slightly warp. So really careful there. So yeah, on that but end, if you're not if you're not in a hurry, Chris, you can just do what Jeff seems to do in his video, which is just leave it inside for a week running. You don't necessarily need to use the sunshine there. Yeah, true. But I was just thinking from what you guys are saying. I mean, if I'm leaving it, if I was sunbrighting, well, then you're not putting it in a chamber. Therefore, the ambient temperature is the temperature. So I'm, yeah. I'm not going to reach 50 degrees even on a per summer's day. Well, not, not normally. Whereas if I'm putting it in a chamber and using the method I was leaning towards, then there would be more risk of overheating there. But then there is the risk of a kangaroo stealing your case without the chamber. So, no, it's you know, drop bears. swings and roundabouts. You've got to look out for over here. Drop bears. What's a drop dingoes, bear? Dingoes, dingoes, and spiders. And What's a drop bear? Cool. Scorpions. <laughs> drop bears are a real thing, aren't they? Yeah. They're definitely yeah, real. Thing. Yeah, they, they, they look just like a koala, but they've got really sharp, pointy teeth and claws, and they'll rip your face. We have off. to worry about haggis stealing things here. If you leave anything yeah. out of haggis, I'll be off with it. <laughs> I was mugged by a haggis when I visited Glasgow. I think it was a haggis. <laughs> Good. Good. <laughs> Deserved it. <laughs> well, anyway, back on topic. <laughs> Away from haggis mugging. Um, it wouldn't have been nice if, you know, Jeff mentions a couple of times that um, his evidence is not sort of lab-grade evidence. You know, he doesn't have the equipment to, to do certain comparisons, so he's... We're doing a lot visually. We're looking at pictures of keys and comparing them um, to a sample. Uh, you know, I just wish somebody with a lab and all of the equipment would dedicate their life to this. Is this too much to ask? <laughs> maybe, no. maybe, maybe a grant to look into the problem and find a definitive method and the science behind it. I'd love that to happen. What, what, what I really want is someone to take like the back of an Amiga 500, a nice big bit, and cut it into pieces do various bits of retro writing and store mm. it in different ways with them without protective until you have, I don't know, 32 different combinations of things <laughs> and then see what happens two years later. But then that's just one uh, piece of plastic. Another piece of plastic could have a different um, makeup. So, I, yeah. I had the perfect specimen for that because I had a broken A500 case, the bottom half, that I could have done exactly that, Dave. Unfortunately, I, I covered it in black and gold paint, so I can't. <laughs> there we go. So, uh, we, you know, we end this segment sounding um, probably more confused than we started out with it. But I promise you, go and watch Haybert's video and you can be a bit more enlightened. One of my all-time favourite games from back of the day was Pac-Man. Uh, to be honest, though, while I love Pac-Man, I think 
I only played the actual arcade version maybe once or twice. Uh, I was, of course, mostly playing Pac-Man clones on home machines. Two that spring to mind, which I have copies of here, are Munchkin. This is my all-time favorite, so that's for the Philips uh, Video Pack G7000 or Magnafox Odyssey 2, as it is in the States. Um, fantastic. Not game. the one. I love that. Yeah, well, that's the one where the dots run away from you while the ghosts are trying to catch you. Fantastic game. Love that favorite version and the other one after that once we got the acon electron was snapper and i always fancied myself as as a bit good at pac-man um and that really isn't based on anything more than the fact that i was better than my siblings (laughs) so you know i was the champion in our house that's all that matters it is all that it, it absolutely is isn't it um but um, I, I actually, I think that still holds true. I think I'm still the best Pac-Man player in my house, even against my boys, who are 22 years old, um, who since a very young age, they were playing on this, actually, the Namco arcade stick. Um, so you've got a, a version of Pac-Man. To this day, I don't if anybody can tell me what port it is on this. I've heard it suggested that it's the NES version, not actually an arcade um, uh, emulated version so interesting but it is it's a very good port of that um, so that's what my boys used to play on I could still beat them I'm pretty sure um, but um, I tried on the weekend just to see what my high score these days was and I was getting I was getting a little bit not bored but a bit frustrated with it and I'll, I'll explain why in a second but 15,000 was the best score I could muster I think that's on about the third maze Um I, I have no point of reference for that. I don't know if that's a good score or not, Chris, is it? Well, we'll come to that. <laughs> we'll, oh, okay. We'll absolutely come to that. But uh, the reason why I don't think I was doing very well is because I was abs- absolutely obsessed with trying to find the hiding spots. There is actually spots in Pac-Man where you can essentially park the game. You park Pac-Man in a nook and the ghosts can't find him, um, which is something we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about as we go through. There's one guy I don't think I'll ever challenge to Pac-Man, even though I'm the best in my household, and that's Billy Mitchell. Now, Billy Mitchell's EastEnders legend. Yes. Yep. No, not that. No, different Mitchell. <laughs> Neil, different. Yeah. Um, look, everybody's heard the name Billy Mitchell. Bit of a controversial name. We're not going to go into that. You know, yes, there are allegations of cheating or, you know, maim denial, as, as I think it is uh, in the past, but that's not what this is about. At the end of the day, he has got a, an amazing skill set in all the games he plays, whether they're emulated or not. And he recently, he validated his perfect Pac-Man score of 3,333,360. And this is, was playing on an authentic Pac-Man machine for seven and a half hours. Neil? Was this on his recent trip to London, Chris? Because I know he was due over here if he hasn't already been. Yeah, yeah, it was indeed on his recent trip to London. Yes. Um, And no, they didn't open the back of the arcade machine (laughs) to see what was inside it. Um, But yeah, basically he's playing for seven and a half hours without losing a single life. I I think he did lose one on the glitch screen right at the end. Um, But whilst playing, he was also... um, taking selfies with people, uh, sign, doing signing autographs, having a chat with people, because he knows where you can park Pac-Man so that the ghosts can't actually find him. And he actually talks. There's a, there's a whole point in, in, in the stream. Obviously, you can watch the recording where he's having a chat and he's happily telling people, yeah, you can park it here. And if you park it in this spot, the ghost won't find you for 18 minutes. And if you park it in this other spot, the ghost will never find you. And I've got one running back at home that's been running for X amount of months. And he basically states that he's got this arcade machine at home that's running. It's a live game, but the ghosts can never find 
Pac-Man because of the place that he's parked it in. So fantastic. So I never knew that so much about Pac-Man from just watching some of this stream. But yeah, no, really, really cool to watch. Neil, I know you're a tad competitive. Would you take Billy on in Pac-Man? Or have or if not Pac-Man, have you hit the highest possible score on any of the games that you've played? Oh, absolutely not. No. Um, well, I, <laughs> unless we count epic skid marks. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, a game, by the way, not a description of his law. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, my problem with Pac-Man is that I can get quite bored of a game quite quickly. And the idea of playing Pac-Man for seven and a half hours is absolutely insane to me. I mean, that is... That is the skill. The guy clearly knows the mechanics, the ins and outs, the the dead zones and all the rest of the game. And beyond that, it's just pure patience and perseverance, isn't it? And um, that is absolutely mad, seven and a half hours. Um, Fun story about Billy Mitchell is um, we've been building the arcade museum here over the last few weeks. And we've just uh, taken delivery from Alex of his wonderful nintendo skyskipper arcade this is an arcade that nintendo never released and there's a whole video about it which i will ask duncan to link um over on alex's channel which is now arcade archive he had a rebrand that's the name of the channel so go and give that a sub and the whole video the whole story about how he found the pcb for the unreleased nintendo game restored it created the the cabinet using a popeye as a, a base cabinet um and then eventually revealed it over in the us at nintendo of america and billy mitchell was a part of this story because um way back before they even found the pcb they had a chat with him and just said do you remember this game called skyskipper have you ever played it and he and he said something along the lines of now that's a name i've not heard for a long time yes i i did play it <laughs> and he can conf- he confirmed the existence of the game. Um, so that, that enthused them to keep looking. Uh, and then when it was revealed, when in Nintendo of America, Billy Mitchell actually played it and um, uh, Walter Day was there with him and they did a big reveal. And it was just a, a great a great thing, um, getting this unreleased game back up and running for everyone to play. And now it's at the Arcade Museum. So Billy Mitchell was very much a part of that. Um I think uh, people are very quick to jump on him for the allegations of cheating, cheating which has been proven in many ways. I think hasn't it? Has it been proven beyond doubt? I, I think in some cases it seems to I have never been. cared. But on the yeah. other side, you know, there's, there, he's a much more complex character than just that. I think, um, and he's done some great things for the community as well. So there's a balance to be found with Billy Mitchell. Yeah. Um, in terms of uh, uh, Pac-Man games, though, uh, Fast Food Dizzy, that was the one that I used to like the most, <laughs> the clone of Pac-Man on the Amiga and oh, other okay. platforms, but that's where I played it, budget game that I picked up. It was just quirky and fun, and it had the little cut scenes between mazes and things like that. Well, interestingly, th- this story was brought to us by Prize Shopping 2930 uh, on the subreddit. Do please go and read the post because he was actually there. So he witnessed it. And Billy actually let him play the glitch screen after hitting the perfect score right at the end. Oh, wow. uh, I didn't even know there was a glitch screen. <laughs> I've never never witnessed this or see what it looks like. So, yeah. Um, and in, in the subreddit, the, there's a link to the time code on the Twitch stream um, supplied. So, so basically, if you click on that link, it will take you to basically where Billy hits the high score and, um, and then invites um, the, our, our, our listener over to actually play on the glitch screen, which was really cool. And so all of this happened on Friday the 16th of September at the Four Quarters Elephant Park Arcade Pub uh, in London. 
And um, I'm pretty sure Billy said at that point, does anyone here listen to This Week in Retro? And someone put their hand up and that's why they got to play, right? That, that was that, their in. That's exactly right. He looked around, yeah. he said, where's Chris, Neil and Dave? Oh, I can't find him. I'll grab this guy. <laughs> yeah, that's what it, no. No, I don't. I assume he's listening. Hi, Billy. He might listen. You never know. <laughs> Dave, um, have you witnessed any gaming legends uh, making or repeating history or have you been part of it yourself? Well, I don't have a mirror in my game room, but sometimes <laughs> I can see a reflection of myself in my monitor if it's dark. Um, I, I think this is a bit of a double-edged sword. I love the idea of seeing someone do really well at a game and also how to play it, but it can be really disheartening. When he's getting, how much did you say? Millions. Over Three million. Million, million yeah. And, and you got, what, 3,000, did you say? 15,000. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> 15 do you think 15,000 doing what's the point if you can get 3 million it's a little bit disheartening but yeah so I was watching I was watching Arcade Archive which is Alex's channel just as you mentioned and there's a a, a pickup of a, a burger time um cabinet and when he picked it up he was talking to someone who I, I can't remember the guy's name I'm afraid nice nice chap he was picking it up from and um he, he, he was recording it being played and explaining how to play Burger Time and how to be better at it. And it's really informative. And next time I play Burger, Burger Time, I think it's in Mister. Next time I play it, uh, I'm sure it's in Mister. I'll, I'll play it better as a result. Uh, Harry, it was Harry Bolt who he picked it up. Harry, from. here we go. Young jazz pianist who collects arcade games. Yeah, really nice guy. Nice, nice chap. Uh, nice chap. He could, um, I, I think Alex mentioned he, he did a, 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 a tour of his place years and years and years ago. Uh, so I'll maybe look that out. When I think back to my experience in the arcades, I didn't play arcade games that much, but I was there loads. I hung about there. I didn't have enough 10Ps. I wanted to play them loads. I, I, I hung about there. It was a great place to go. It was fun on holiday in, in, in Blackpool or down in my local arcades where I live, or even in Spain. There was always a few there, like Black Tiger in 1942, but I didn't play enough. And when I got MAME um, 20 years ago, when you first get MAME, 25 years it is now, um, when I first got MAME, I would I, I would just give myself loads and loads of credits and just play all the way through to see what it was like. And now I'm starting to do a bit different. When I'm on Mr. Now playing 1942 and Black Tiger, I'm just putting a single credit in and seeing what I can do with it. Because I think that's different. It's quite different to just playing it through. It's not the same at all. So I, maybe I need to push myself to do a bit more but maybe I shouldn't be watching what the high scores are and putting myself off. <laughs> that's that's so true. I Yeah, um, I used to spend a lot of time in the arcade just watching other people play for the same reason. I didn't have the money. And now if, if you're playing any game, even if it's on the Amiga or whatever, and you can get access to infinite credits, it's almost like, what's the point? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because those games are intended to be hard and, and to see how far you can get on a single credit. So. But yeah, I mean, I still love Pac-Man and high score challenges as well, as you guys know. Uh, but I think I'll let Billy have this one. Um, but really, I think it's an amazing story for one of our listeners and contributors who was in the right place at the right time and saw this event firsthand. The listener lucky enough to be there for the event was Chris Skitch, who is originally from Brisbane in Australia, actually, uh, but now happens to live in London. Um, the other Chris, the opposite Chris. The other Chris, yes, the anti-Chris. Because I, in fact, I, I I was born in England and moved to Australia, and around the same time, because it was about twenty years ago for him, he 
who was born in Australia and moved to England, and he's also called, he's he's literally the anti Chris. But anyway, <laughs> well spotted, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, he's visible in the Twitch stream, uh, hanging out with Billy uh, at around the to save you watching the whole seven and a half hours if you don't feel like doing that. At around the one hour nineteen minute mark, you see them meet each other. Um, and then uh, at around the seven hours, seven minutes mark, or like I said, there's a link in the, in the uh, subreddit to the exact time code. That's when you see Billy actually invite Chris up to play the glitch screen, which is fantastic. So Skitch, mate, thank you so much for sharing your story with us and the This Week in Retro community. The 40-year-old Hobbit. Um, it turns out that the seminal text adventure with pictures, The Hobbit, is now 40 years old. The game was released by Beam Software, which is uh, it's actually a, an internal part of what was Melbourne House in 1982 on the humble ZX Spectrum. It was later ported to the Apple II, BBC Micro, the Commodore 64, the Auric, and the PC in 1983, a year later, and then eventually to the Amstrad CPC, and the Apple Macintosh, and the MSX. Now, the article linked um, by Robertson 1107 talks about the creator of The Hobbit, who is Veronica Megler, who had become a bit disillusioned with the early world of computing. She said, I think there were four women in a class of about 200 people, and it was pretty misogynistic. Uh, she recalls in the article, she said she'd already built her own PC, buying the motherboard, chips, capacitors, and diodes, from an electronic shop in Melbourne, Australia. And in the store, they'd say, tell your boyfriend we don't have these. Now, age 19, she applied for a part-time job at a local software company called Melbourne House, and they went on to release um, a fair amount of uh, different software for the 8-bits. Uh, I think in the 16-bit area, I think they ended up getting bought out by Infogrames. Um, I think they went consoles in, in about 1987. And the first thing she was told when she was hired was, write the best adventure game ever. So that was in 1980. And two years later, they released The Hobbit. Now, she was already a fan of the Colossal Cave Adventure, and she said she'd mapped it out. The Colossal Cave Adventure is the, the very first uh, text adventure. It's wonderful. There's a new one coming out this year in VR from the Williams. Um, and she brought in a friend called Philip Mitchell, who... I presume is one of the Mitchell brothers from EastEnders um, and also <laughs> brother to Billy Mitchell. Yeah, hence the show title. Uh, she, she brought him in to assist at the games passer um, and then be, began adapting the novel The Hobbit, which is the first in G.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings novels um, and the only one aimed at a younger audience. The actual game graphics were fairly crude. They were line drawings and then flood filled, which so if you think about the, the paint fill, tin fill tool in Deluxe Paint, uh, and the NPCs in the game, Neil. Oh, um, yeah, I heard it was Grant Mitchell that did the art in the game, just to bring things Yes, that's right, <laughs> that's right, yeah, yeah. Um, and the... <laughs> Sorry to our international viewers who have never watched EastEnders, this will mean nothing to you. But, Does um, it really East, Grant Mitchell? EastEnders, <laughs> EastEnders is a British soap, and there are two brothers in it, Phil Mitchell and Grant Mitchell, and uh, they, they they are baldy men. Um, Billy Mitchell. Well, how, what's the Billy Mitchell connection? Is he a cousin or is he a, is he is he another brother? I don't actually watch I it. Don't watch these <laughs> I don't know. But there's a Billy Mitchell as well, who plays video games. Yeah. Um, oh, there was he doesn't. Yeah. 
The Hobbit, remember The Hobbit? Uh, the NPCs in the game were more than they had been in other text adventures or, or interactive fiction, if you like, at the time. They wandered around, they did stuff. Thorin would get captured and he would sing about gold. Um, and Gandalf would wander around and pick up objects and get into fights. It's a complex game, and you could end up being not able to finish because of how the random events played out. Uh, Melbourne House did eventually release a 1.1 version, which in some ways made it worse, and then a 1.2, but never did fix all the bugs. Despite that, though, it's a wonderful game. Neil, did you ever play The Hobbits or its sequels? I'm going to play the Chris card here. (laughs) (laughs) I own this game. I've read the reviews in the Spectrum magazines and I've I've heard great things about it. I've even got compilations with this game on, but I've never actually played it. Um, And I think the reason for that is there's a different mindset when you're looking at a text adventure. You don't just fire up a text adventure and go, oh, yeah, I could get into this. The graphics look nice. I like the feel of the mechanics. It's like picking a new book. You know, you're you're making a commitment to a game. You've got your pad and your, your pen next to you ready to take notes. And it's a mindset, right? Yeah, you're right, and I—that's I, I, partly why I love it. I really do like uh, the the kind of escapism, joining a new world and get the whole world built up. Particularly when it's a, a descriptive text adventure. Um, the Scott Adams ones, I'm not, I'm not as keen on those because they don't set the picture in your mind quite as well as the the Infocom ones do. The story has a special uh, resonance for me. When I first got my 6128, my CPC 6128, uh, I joined a subscription club called the Home Computer Club. And I'm sure people will remember it. Yeah. It was in it was in magazines. There was a, another one that came afterwards that a lot of Amiga, Amiga people did. Was it Special Reserve? I don't think it was in Special Reserve, but the Home Computer Club came first. Home Computer Club did Amiga memory, stuff as well. I was, on the, I was in that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for anyone whose memory needs jogging, what happened was you would you would get offered some cheap games. You would maybe get three or four cheap games. You would buy those, and that would be your kind of welcome pack. And then you would be subscribed. And then once a, I think once a month, they would send you a default game unless you chose a different one. But you had to buy one game a month from them at a discount. It was actually okay. I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a bad deal, but it did mean that you were buying a game where maybe you wouldn't be buying a game otherwise. Um, but the price you paid for it was, was slightly better than the shops. So the first one I got was... The first one I got was this, and I'm going to hold it up to it. It's the Lord of the Rings, um, game one. And this is the very, very start of my big box collections, I guess. This is the first game, and it's super important to me because it's what got me into the world of Tolkien. Um, I hadn't read any Tolkien until I got this. I certainly had afterwards. Uh, it got me right into it. In fact, if you if I'd got the cassette version instead, the cassette version was much thicker. It looks like a, a thick double VHS case. Yeah, I've and got inside, that one. I've got that one. Have the you? case is falling to pieces. It's become very brittle, yeah. Mine is exactly the same. I'm gingerly opening it up here. But if you look at the inside of it, you can see that the Fellowship of the Ring is actually inside there, the novel. Um, uh, sorry, book, book, book not, no, volume one of the novel. Um, if I get that right, it's important to get that right. Um so this was really th- this game was super important for me. It got me into Tolkien. It got me into text adventures as well. Uh, but it's the Hobbit I'm talking about now, which uh, I have here as well. This is this is the original Spectrum release. It was shrink wrapped, and the manual was just sat, sat on top of the box. And I also have here as well 
the uh, clue book for it because you did need a clue book, the guide to it. Uh, but the Hobbit was um, was super important for it. Um, they came out, Beam came out with the sequels to The Hobbit. They came out with um, The Lord of the Rings Game 1, which matched book one and two of the six books in Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings is, is one single novel with six books in a set of three volumes with two books in each. Um, I know, I know, I know it's complicated, but the first one they came out with, Lord of the Rings Game 1, matched books one and two. They then came out with Shadows of Mordor, um, which they call Game 2, which matches book four of Lord of the Rings. And the final one was Crack of Doom, which I don't have yet, and it matched book six of Lord of the Rings. So they did the whole thing, but it faded in popularity as it went on. There's, there's not so many copies compared to The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings around. Um, and they also made a strategy game called um, War in Middle-Earth. However, Veronica was actually only involved in the original Hobbit game. Now, Chris, I'd like you to... Um, I like to assume that since it's from the country you live in now, um, Australia, Melbourne House, it must be important to you, so you must have played all their games. <laughs> oh, yeah, I've played every single now. In fact, <laughs> funny enough, I have a copy of this as well myself, Dave, for the for the Amiga. Melbourne have you played House, it? Melbourne House. Of course not. Have you not. played it? Is it good? No, I've not played it at all. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but audio listeners, Chris was Chris was holding up. Is it Battle for Middle Earth? That uh, one's War called? in Middle Earth. So yeah, War same in one. Earth. Dave just held up. Is that still a text adventure, or does that move into no? A, uh, it's a no, strategy. I thought, thought so. I thought so. Yeah, yeah. Another genre I don't really play. <laughs> Chess is 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 where I stop at strategy games. Other than that, yeah, too many things to think about all at the same time. But no, I never played The Hobbit. Um, I was I was kind of late to the whole Lord of the Rings party, really. And when I say late, I mean. Until the movies came out, I hadn't really touched it. I hadn't read the books. I hadn't played any of the games. And then suddenly there's movies that you can kick back and watch. And and now we actually love it as a household. We were Star Wars freaks. And now I'd say we're equally Lord of the Rings freaks and, and the Hobbit freaks to the point where we've watched obviously the extended editions, by the way, are the, are the only versions worth watching as far as our household is concerned. And we've watched all of the behind the scenes footage as well which is absolutely fascinating if you're the tiniest bit interested in what goes into making such epic uh, movie franchises watch this because it will blow your mind things like you know creating an entire village on top of a, a mountain and then having to return the mountainside to how they found it replace the exact patches of grass back where they where they originally found them that kind of thing absolutely mental the like the lengths that they go to but no back to back to games though i have war in middle earth um which you mentioned so i, I probably need to bother to play it at some time does it have apache helicopters in it dave <laughs> uh, of course i mean how can you have war without them <laughs> exactly there's all the end all of them in it um <laughs> But no, the, 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 these games are great. They, there, there actually is new material in it. They've kind of they've got the Green Knight, which is a story that Tolkien wrote, and they've got Radagast, who wasn't really in the books very much. They've got extra stuff in it because obviously, when you're exploring what the Hobbits did in the book, you can go east or west where they perhaps didn't. Um, we can't tell you the Hobbits didn't go that way, so we can't describe it. So there's extra stuff there, so it's it's kind of worth it there. I felt they get the the lower right on it. Um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, the, yeah, it has to be interactive at the same time as following the story, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. Otherwise, it's just Dragon's Lair. Yeah. Now, um, 
The Hobbit itself, though, the Hobbit itself is super important in terms of, of game history. Um, it, it's, it's actually really popular. I think at one point it was the second most downloaded thing game on, on archive.org. Um, it's worth remem- remembering, though, it was made for the ZX Spectrum, which doesn't have a lot of memory, and it had to load from tape, so it couldn't be like Infocom games, which were constantly accessing the discs. It doesn't have a large parser. It doesn't recommend many, very many words. And the descriptions and the simple graphics really do bring the, the the world of the Hobbit to your screen, but it's not great big long passages as you might like it to be. So it's not Infocom, it's not modern levels of, levels of description. Um, and something that happened a great deal in the game, which has turned into a bit of a meme, is Thorin sits down and starts singing about gold because all the all the different characters do different various different, different things, and that's what he does. He sits down and sings about gold. So now you know what that means. You can get t-shirts with that on it. Um, but there is there is some homework that I'd like our listeners to do if they're interested. And if anyone does this, I'd be really, really interested to leave a comment on the subreddit or YouTube comments. And it's something called Wilderland. And it runs the original Spectrum game in an emulator while also displaying a big list of the state of every object and animal, a log of what all the other NPCs do, because as you're playing, everything is happening everywhere else in the game at the same time. So this allows you to see what's happening and also gives you a map of the game. So you can see Middle Earth happening while you play the game. So I think it's a fantastic thing to do. I haven't done it yet. I only came across it when I was doing a little bit of research for this, but something I'd like to do is go back to The Hobbit and try that and see if I can get the squeeze the last bits of, of enjoyment out of that game because I've played it so many times. So happy 40th birthday, The Hobbit. Time now for our community question of the week. And just before we get to that, I want to say a hello to Daniel because while we've been chatting, guys, we got an email in um, live while chatting from a chap called Daniel. I won't read the whole email, but um, he just said, I want to thank you and the gang around This Week in Retro. He's been having a bit of a hard time lately and we've really kept his spirits up during the difficult days. So pat on the pat on the back to you guys for helping to keep Daniel's spirits up. And hello, Daniel. Thank you for listening. Now, our community question. Thank you, Daniel. <laughs> we set you a difficult one um, this time because uh, we knew you'd have three weeks to do it. And uh, the question was, we want to know what is the best retro-related item you can find in a shop, car boot sale, garage sale, etc.? You don't have to buy it. Just at least take a photo of it, post it in the thread, and um, we'll take a look at it, what you've managed to sniff out, and we might even appoint a winner. So um, let me open up the link here. For those of you who want to see this, um, you go to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro, where you can see the latest show stickied at the top, as well as the latest community question of the week so that you can participate. And you can also submit your own stories for us to discuss on the subreddit. So going from the top, um, now there's no way to actually post images in Reddit, is there? So people have linked out to um, other services to host their pictures, Dave. I've just had a thought. People may have thought they had three weeks to do this, and really they've only had two because of the way it records. So do we want to tell people that if, if they do get it submitted, either today or tomorrow, we'll have any ones we missed in next week's show? Yeah, we can have a we can look back again next week and see what else has been submitted for sure. Just in yeah. case anyone feels they didn't get a chance to do it, so you've got until today is Saturday um, when you, you're watching or listening to this, and we've got until Sunday the um, Sunday the sixteenth to get it in the subreddit so that we don't miss it, and we'll have a second round of these and make sure that anything that's submitted someone gets uh, something doesn't get missed out. Fair enough. 
Okay, so um, top of the subreddit, um, there are some quite long answers. So I think maybe if we can shoot through uh, some of them and look at the pictures. Uh, the top one is from ZZ Lee ZZ, who talks about going to car boot sales. Um, he has been uh, swearing off of them due to mountains of baby clothes, dog chews, and Poundland rejects. Yeah, the car boot sales are very hit and miss, Lee. Um, better scores he's had this year include an Atari trackball for £3, a, a Zipstick for £4, an Atari 2600 Junior with 25 games and joysticks for £30. Wow. But he says, he says it feels like cheating to share those because he's already found them. Um Oh, he's he shared his uh, Twitter feed. I see which Lee this is. This is Lee from More Fun Making It, which is a, a YouTube channel out there. Um, and he says, today I managed to fill a gap that had been a glaring omission in my collection. Not a rare 8-bit computer or console. Not that special game in a new box. For the longest time, I've wanted and needed a CRT TV. And today that box is ticked. For £5, he picked up the perfect late-built Philips TFT Kinder portable color TV Crucially, including SCART and composite inputs and a fully functional DVD player. So um, that's probably going to appear on Lee's workbench at some point because having all of those inputs is perfect for testing when you're repairing things. So £5 TV. Um, who wants to read the next one? And can you do better than a £5 TV? I will. Um, uh, and this one is is special for a very good reason. <laughs> um, uh, so Sparkyar says i'm from argentina and this week's question reminded me that i haven't got back a spectrum like the one i had when i was a kid a cz spectrum more precisely which is their version of the zx because some argentinian companies used to make deals so they could legally build or assemble their computers here this happened with sinclair which was um cernway and commodore dream etc so i guess this is a tax thing i know that brazil has high import taxes um so i went to a nearby porn shop or thrift store and asked if they had any old computers and the owner told me that right now they're mostly focusing on antiques clothes and vinyls but he gave me the number of an old lady that was selling lots of stuff for her sons that are living in europe and they wanted her to get rid of everything and go live with them in europe so i called her on Tuesday and she told me that she could go the same day and take an old computer with 20 cassettes for eight US dollars, eight dollars um, before she throws it out or gives it away. Three hours later, I was there eating homemade cookies and having a 20 minute conversation about economy and geopolitics with this nice old lady. I know it wasn't a Spectrum, but a Commodore 64. Uh, he says Dream, which I guess is the the, the the brand name. Two missing keys, unfortunately. The original power supply and twenty two cassette games, which were all copies. Uh, I'm no expert on C sixty four, so I'm not sure what I really got, and I still don't know if it works because I don't have a 110 220 volt transformer and the AV cables. But it's probably a nice start for another restoration project. Uh, he says sorry for my English, but his English was. I, 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 as is always the case when someone apologizes for their English, their English was perfect. And he's got a picture. It's a Commodore 64 and tapes. He paid $8 for that. He got an absolute bargain. Even if it, even if he doesn't manage to get it to work, he won't need to get a, a transformer. He can get a, I can get a power supply to run it without the transformer. And in fact, using buying a, a transformer to use the original power supply might not be a great idea. But the reason why this is extra special He's put a little drawing of the three of us. Um, for Neil, he says, uses I have a museum as a pickup line. Hello, ladies. For Chris, 
I've got a museum. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm assuming this is Chris because it's it's someone with a, a big smile on his face and um, no beard, no glasses, no hair. It's yeah. three um, and one doesn't have a beard. <laughs> <laughs> it says for Chris, it says hates graphic adventure games. Yeah. And the third one, this one's it's quite handsome looking. This one, Got a beard and glasses, but not much of a smile. Maybe he's trying to indicate this was a miserable person. Uh, assuming it's me, and it says, "Still not sure if he speaks English." <laughs> I think we're um, all in that boat. Yeah, we 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 all had a really good laugh when we saw that. It's, yeah. it's absolutely brilliant. He's actually got pictures of the C64 internals. It looks in a decent state inside. Yeah, it's it's not badly. It's, it's not badly damaged. C64. He's got a bargain. Eight dollars yeah. is an absolute bargain. That's fantastic. Yeah, nice. So, well, Chris, uh, do you want to come on to the third one, which is uh, Evan B. Thompson? Evan, yep, no worries. So he's uh, got a little bit, little bit of a cheat. He found a Lanier Type Master word processor at a local tip shop in New Zealand about a month ago. Um, and he was just very surprised that he found a vintage computer at all, uh, that he posted to a local vintage computer Facebook group. And he has uh, supplied you... us with some photos. Um, yeah, of I was that. just looking at the picture of it. This is a beast. I it mean, is, when you, yeah. When you, when you, when you read uh, Type Master word processor, you think it's probably just sort of a slimline thing with a little LCD screen. No, yeah. this is a monster, isn't it? It's massive, yeah. So as he Eight describes... inches. Two eight-inch drives and a printer on top, uh, and I think a, an eighty-eighty CPU. Uh, he said he didn't buy it because it looked like it weighed a ton, but someone must have since it wasn't there the next time he went. Uh, so there you go. I've There's never a, seen such a thing. It, it looks massive. like it's designed like a luggable, but I don't think it is. I don't think that keyboard slots back onto the front. I don't think there's a handle to lug that around. But um, kind of portable. <laughs> you could <laughs> yeah. move it to another desk, but. Yeah, might be a two-person job. Um, okay, brilliant. Has anything else popped out on the subreddits for anyone else um, here in the answers? Let's have a flick through. Someone got uh, a, a, there's a one Phillips more. screwdriver. <laughs> yeah, someone got a Phillips screwdriver. Um, someone else, Evan, R., Evan B. Thompson. Oh, he said, I can't figure out how to post a picture, but he did, obviously. So he did come back and post a picture. And then Kefka Floyd, the last one, is... My usual runs to the thrift stores are on Saturdays, which is perfect timing for listening to This Week in Retro. Things are always feast or famine. You can go weeks without seeing anything interesting, and then blammo, all the neat things come out of the woodwork. I thought I wouldn't have anything interesting to post because all I've seen the past few weeks are some game discs, but this week really came through. This was by far the best day I've had for interesting things in a long time. So I think we can take the credit for that. Uh, <laughs> in the interest of fairness, I'm saving my actual entry for the question until the end. But this weekend, there's some genuinely neat things that pop up that I'll share as well. A Sega Genesis, which is, uh, I think, that's, is that the, the Sega Mega Drive um, <laughs> yes, version? One non-HD graphics for $60. This isn't a terrible price, but not an impulse buy either. I'm sure some Sega person will enjoy it. A row of manuals for various old software like DOS, Windows, and QEMM, the memory manager, includes various shareware, proje shareware projects like PKZip. Um, people paid for that. Is that like paying for WinRAR? <laughs> Comedic items like this data break, it stops hackers in their tracks. Maybe that asterisk is doing a lot of work, I'm sure. Um, I don't know what it is. It's I'm looking, it plugs I'm into the wall. At the picture of this data break. Yeah, it, it plugs into the power socket. Is it? I don't know. No, plugs into the phone socket. I think that, that that looks like an American plug. Plug into wall here. Plug in your 
I'm guessing it's a computer here. And then it says on the back how it works. I don't know how that works. It says for modem and DSL connections, which makes me think it might be to do with the phone socket. Um, I wonder if you plug your modem into that and it does absolutely nothing, but you think it did. (laughs) No, I've worked it out. So you plug it in because it's a power, it goes into a power socket. So you plug it in and it doesn't let any power through to your computer. Therefore, it's safe from hackers. (laughs) Because I know you can get a Faraday cage to put your Wi Fi in to protect you from, I'm not joking, you can put your Wi Fi in a Faraday cage to protect you from the, the, from the the signals from it and of course Brilliant idea. it'll also protect you from wi-fi um <laughs> yes. it's caught he says the funniest of them all was a book of scuzzy which i put in a twitter account called books with threatening auras <laughs> and it's it's a picture of it, it looks like just a, a normal adventure book but it somehow says something to do with scuzzy don't know Here's my actual entry for the neatest things you saw. One shop had bundles of brand new five and a quarter inch, never opened floppy disks. They were 15 boxes total, divided into five bundles of three boxes each. Four of the bundles were high density, while one bundle was double density. They're all sealed in wrap and never opened. One three box bundle cost $10. So I picked up the double density bundle and one high density bundle. Polaroid was local to us here in the Northeast US, and I can only guess that maybe some former employee finally cleared out their attic and donated 15 packs of floppies to the Goodwill. Um, Do you know, uh, Dave, the wonderful thing about these floppies is I'm just looking at the picture of it, and on the front of the packet of five and a quarter inch floppies, it says, Lifetime Warranty. So there you go. Should this product prove to be defective in materials or workmanship at any time, it will be replaced free of charge. So long as the company exists. (laughs) Have you got your receipt there, sir? Oh, without your receipt, we can't help you. (laughs) So... As you mentioned, just looking closely, if you look at the picture of the white floppy disks, it looks like it's next to a Lord of the Rings Pez dispenser. Yes, yes, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) just a beautiful bookend to the stories. Oh, yeah, Pez, yeah, on the left hand side, yeah. I can see the pop thing beside it, you know, the the little, the little, yeah, but yeah, there you go. That, 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 that. That's a brilliant thing. Oh, I've uh, just these are great things. You've got to look at you've got to look up Lord of the Rings Pez dispensers. Oh, it's no. got all of the characters with their little heads on the top spitting out pezzes when you hit them. But there's a hot, oh wow. <laughs> Chris Chris said that his whole family likes Lord of the Rings, so maybe maybe should say that. Yeah, maybe get all the Chris dispensers. should get that. Let's get them all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Ch- thank Charity you very shops. much for submitting these. Yeah, Ch- charity shops or thrift stores, they're always really slim pickings over here. But one thing they are great for is new old stock media. If you want to pick up, you know, CDRs or or even get lucky enough with some some blank tapes, VHS or audio or um, or even floppy disks, that's where you find them. Stuff, stuff, stuff eBay. Yeah. yeah. That's where you find them, yeah. So thank you very much for submitting these. They're great, great effort. As we said, there might be a little bit of an overlap where people may not have submitted in time. So if you're watching or listening to this, you have about a day left to get them submitted and we'll do a little catch up if we have missed anyone because we wouldn't want someone to feel lost out in next week's show. Now, our community question of the week, Neil. 
Yes, Dave, the community question of the week this week is all about knockoffs of arcade classics. Um, we we saw Chris hold up. Do you want to hold them up again, Chris? Some of your knockoff Pac-Man games, such as Snapper. Danky and- Kang. <laughs> yes. Munchkin. Uh, what was the other one called? Munchkins. Munchkin. Yeah. Dan- Danky Kang. Uh, stuffed Bean Elf, as you find <laughs> on the Pandora's Box version of Pac-Man, which I think is actually legitimate pac-man they've just badly um uh, translated the name of the game from pac-man to stuffed bean elf um so yeah what what is your favorite or it doesn't even have to be favorite just give us some examples of some knockoff arcade games that maybe you had on your home micros or consoles um or bad translations let us know head over to reddit.com forward slash r forward slash this week in retro leave a comment there as well as any stories that you might like us to discuss As always, thank you so much for taking the time to watch. Uh, We really do appreciate it. And we'll speak to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. This Week in Retro was presented by Neil from RMC The Cave, Chris from 005 Agima, and Dave. It was produced by me, Duncan Stiles. The podcast version of the show is available through your favourite podcaster, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And the video version is available on the This Week in Retro YouTube channel. Join our community subreddit at r slash thisweekinretro to suggest and vote on the stories we cover on the show. If you watch This Week in Retro on YouTube, please give us a like and subscribe to help us reach new viewers. If you enjoy our show and would like to support it, then please check out the link to our Patreon page in the show notes or description. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time for more up-to-date news for out-of-date tech.